0: If you are a black sheep, a scapegoat, a family outcast coming from a family where there is a narcissistic parent and you're looking for a spiritual paradigm within which to understand that craziness and hopefully to be the cycle breaker and to get out, this video may be for you. My name is Rabbi Shays Taub. I'm a rabbi, I'm not a mental health professional. This is not mental health advice. This is a spiritual context within which to perhaps begin to envision a healthy way to redefine your role and to be a cycle breaker. Black sheep, scapegoats, and cycle breakers, which is really synonymous because ultimately the greatest gift that the black sheep and the scapegoats have is that they're probably, from all of the people in the dysfunctional family, the ones who are most likely to actually leave, to get out of it, and then not to perpetuate it and be able to raise the first healthy family in their, in their bloodline. So where, where am I supposed to begin here? Like I said, I'm not a healthy, not a mental health professional. I'm not a psychologist, not a therapist. So I'm not here to like explain this from a mental health point of view. I'm not qualified to do so. Um, I'm just going to tell you from my amateur perspective, here's, here's what I see. Here's what I see over and over again. You have a family where you have somebody, a parent who nowadays it's pretty common to call them a narcissist. Somebody who is self-consumed and a perfectionist and can never be wrong, can never be wrong. And then you have a, a spouse to that parent who's what you might call the narcissistic enabler meaning covering up for the parent who can never be wrong. And usually that, that spouse is a very broken person, which wouldn't really shock you, uh, because if you're married to somebody who has zero compassion, empathy, humility, you, you would be exhausted too. So that, that person ends up being a very, very sad and broken person, um, a shell. And then you have the kids, So the kids are all handed a rule book for how to survive in this home. But the rule book is all in code. It's all a hint. It's all with a wink. Uh, It's not explicitly stated anywhere, but people learn these rules so that they don't become the object of the narcissistic wrath. And basically, the rule book... There's really one major rule, which is that the, the self-consumed, immature parent can never be wrong, ever, can never be wrong. And then the, the, the siblings, the kids, what happens is very often, there's a, there's a, a child who's chosen, and why is this child chosen? You know, you could form theories about it. Other times it's hard to say why why that child. But this, this is the child who's singled out as the scapegoat. And by scapegoat, I mean literally um, they play the role that... The actual, you know what the actual scapegoat is? I mean, so, oh, I am a rabbi. So this I can actually speak with authority about, the scapegoat. Uh, in the times of the Holy Temple in Jerusalem, on Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement, so part of the ritual was that there was a lottery which randomly selected a goat. One goat was a sin offering, but the other goat would be the scapegoat. And they would take him out, outside of the city, to a cliff and they would toss them off a cliff and that was part of the atonement of the people now, I'm not going to get into a whole discussion about whether that seems barbaric to you and um, probably most of us today have a hard time automatically relating to animal animal sacrifice to begin with um, that, that's not my point here and I don't want you to get distracted uh, by that but the metaphor is what's important here that just like there was a scapegoat in the Holy Temple that would carry the guilt of the people, so too there's this child who carries the guilt of the family, more specifically the, the shame of the shameless parent, meaning there's a parent who's acting shamelessly, but will not own up to their shameless behavior. Somebody has to bear that guilt. It is transferred onto that child. Why that child? I don't know. Much like the the scapegoat in the temple was chosen at random, sometimes this selection seems to be pretty random. In other words, it has nothing to do with the child's behavior. It's not like the child did anything that they would be more worthy of blame in the family than anyone else. It just becomes... This is the person who is the go-to object of blame to the point where that becomes the in joke. You know, who broke it? Oh, so-and-so. Oh, who didn't put such and such away? So-and-so. Oh, who parked the car wrong? Oh, so-and-so. Who didn't clean the dishes properly? So-and-so. It's always that's the person who got everything wrong. Why are we late? Who made us late? Oh, so-and-so. The siblings obviously are living in terror of becoming the scapegoat. So it's kind of hard to really blame them, especially when they're children, uh, for being complicit in this sick pattern, but they are going along with it because they're relieved it's not them. <clears throat> to make matters worse, sometimes you even see that one of the other children has been selected for another role that sometimes they call, uh, the golden child, the child who can do no wrong. So then you have the child in one family who can do no right, literally is always at fault. And then you have the child who can do no wrong, who's always good. The, the child who can do no right, not only can do no right, but if they ever express any type of pride or satisfaction in their accomplishments, they will be torn apart to pieces. Like they come home with a good report card and they just want to show it To their parents and be like hey i worked really hard this semester i got good grades they will be thoroughly punished for that why because they're messing up the whole scapegoat system because you need to be the one who's full of shame and blame in order that the narcissistic parent can be spotless and flawless and completely without guilt so when this scapegoat child has any sense of accomplishment or self-esteem that's going to be totally demolished Immediately, without mercy. And of course, you you could understand why somebody who grows up that way would have a really hard time having any sense of self-worth. You could also understand why someone who grows up that way would have a really hard time uh, trusting people. Uh, You could also even understand why when they do form bonds, very often they look for, perhaps unconsciously, that which is familiar And they are attracted to really abusive, humiliating relationships often at any rate. So I'm out of my element. I'm just speaking about something really without any authority. I'm just describing a pattern that I've seen and for whatever it's worth. I don't know if you relate to it, you don't relate to it. If you believe me, you don't believe me, but it's common enough that I can, at this point, I can spot it pretty quickly when somebody starts talking to me and within 30 seconds of their story, it, it's pretty clear that that's what the, what the story is. Okay, so what do I have to offer <laughs> over here as, as a rabbi? Okay, I'm not curing anybody's mental health issues. I'm not, I, 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 have no, I don't have the first clue about any of that. Here, here's what I can tell you. Um, first of all, I can offer you a little bit of maybe perhaps biblical insight. That is my training. That is where I'm qualified to speak. So I want to talk to you a little bit about a model for dealing with a dysfunctional head of a family may even call him a narcissist someone's completely self-consumed can do no wrong consummate victim not only he can do no wrong but everyone's always wronging him he's always always the victim and that's um lovin what they say in english laban lovin was the father-in-law of yankevino of our forefather jacob So he was pretty abusive. He took advantage of his son-in-law, Jacob, put him to work, and he changed the deal. That's what they always do. They change the deal. Just when you think that you've learned the rules, they change the rules on you. Because if you succeed, you're not allowed to succeed. You have to fail. So if you succeed under one set of rules, they'll they'll change the rules to make sure that you fail. And that's what Lovin did with Yankiv. He changed the rules on him, changed the terms of the agreement over and over again. And finally, at some point, Jan Covino said, it's time to go. I gotta go. Now, I just want to point out that Jan Covino did not grow up in this family. He married into it, so it's, it is quite different because, thank God, he grew up in a family where he was supported, and that, that's very, very different. You know, you, you, you can tell when you talk to somebody, how developed they were when the person who crushed them entered their life. It's, it's very obvious the difference between somebody who was crushed as a child, usually almost always by a parent, or somebody who got tangled up with a sick person when they were already an adult and had a more of a formed sense of self. Um, the, the level of, of believing the abuse Is not as deep in other words there's always some degree of self-blame that any victim has but when it happens during childhood it becomes the very fabric of the person's personality like that is who i am who am i i am worthy of disgust and revulsion that is my identity I am the one who incurs anger and frustration and wrath because that's just what I am. That's who I am. I'm consummately unlovable. As opposed to someone who that happened to them when they were older already, so they don't internalize it as deeply. It'll be more like, why am I so unlucky? Why am I so weak? Why didn't I fight back? They'll ask different types of questions. Well, actually, they'll ask questions as opposed to the person who had happened to them when they were a child. They don't even ask. They don't even ask the question because they have the answer already. I know why. I am garbage. So Jan Gevavina was lucky. He didn't grow up in it. He, he came to it already as an adult. But Lovin was a pretty hardcore uh, abuser. So there's some interesting insight here when he finally runs away. Um... I'm just looking here in uh, Breishis Lamed Aleph, Genesis chapter 31. Um, so he catches up with him. lovin Lavovi. What did you do? You stole my heart. Right. Already he's the victim. What did you do? <laughs> lovin is crushing Yankiv until Yankiv finally does the sensible thing and runs away. And then when Lovin chases after him, chases him, he chases him and says, what did you do to me? Right? He chases him and says, what did you do to me? He says, Why did you run away secretly? Why did you try to outwit me? Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't I tell you? I'm running from you. Why would I tell you? I understand the absurdity of the premise. Why didn't you consult with me when you thought you were going to finally get away from this sickness? You should have asked me my my advice, right? The abuser is saying this. You should have asked me whether or not it was smart for you to run away because then I would have talked sense into you and let you know, no, you need to stay here. You need to stay with me. But then he makes up, what do you call it? He starts hoovering. That's, you know, like hoover, yeah, like hoover vacuums. So then he starts, yeah, he comes comes on with the sweet talk. You should have told me, you know what? I would have sent you away with gladness and with songs and with instruments. I would have made a party for you. Sweetie, why didn't you tell me you were breaking? I would have made, you could have left, of course, you could leave, and I, I myself would make the party for you. And then you start thinking, oh, well, maybe, maybe, why why am I running away from this person? This person is so good to me. This person would make a party for me. Hire a band. And then he starts putting on the guilt. netashtani You didn't allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. That means Yankiv's sons and daughters or daughter who, and also who, who were Lovin's grandchildren and also Lovin's daughters who were Yankiv's wives. Like, how can you do this to Azade? How can you do this to a harmless grandfather? You don't even allow me to kiss my grandchildren. Starts putting on the guilt. He tried to destroy Yankiv. When Yaakov finally breaks away from it, he comes after him with the guilt. How can you do it? You don't let a grandfather kiss his grandchildren? How cruel could you be? Right now all of a sudden they start talking about the cruelty. The cruelty, right. Ato hiskalta asu. You've acted foolishly. Now he makes you feel like an idiot. And if you've been in his grasp for long enough, you start questioning yourself, maybe I am an idiot. This is a dumb move. What did I do this for? Now watch what he says. Yesh <laughs> yodi I have the power to do bad to you. It puts you in your place, intimidates you. You know, I could, I could hurt you if I wanted to. I'm good. I'm compassionate. I'm magnanimous, so I'm not going to hurt you. Even though he did hurt you already thousands of times. But now he starts saying, you know, I could hurt you. That's that threat that's like inherently gaslighting. No, I didn't say I was going to hurt you. I said I could hurt you. I wouldn't hurt you. Right? You can't nail them down, even if you record the thing. I didn't say I was going to hurt you. God forbid. I said, you know, I have the ability to hurt you. But the God of your father came to me last night. See, in this case, Lovin had a dream. He had a vision. he saw a vision of God and he came to me and he said be careful don't speak to Yankiv good or bad that's a miracle that plenty of people in that situation would love to have that God would come down and tell the narcissistic abuser you know what don't talk to them okay I'll only say nice things no not even nice things don't talk to them good or bad Leave them alone. Viato. now he says, holoich going, you have surely gone, because yearning, you have surely been yearning, levei for your father's house. This is a very strange verb form, this double verb form. This is used biblically to describe an ongoing activity. You use the same verb twice. So, yearning you've been yearning. It's like an ongoing process. What does, that, what does that mean in this in this case? That it's an ongoing process. Lovin is telling Yankiv, this is not the first time that you've tried to leave me. So why is this different? Why do you think this time's going to be for real? Leaving, you've been leaving, because yearning, you've been yearning to go back home, you know, to a healthy place. Or if you've never been in a healthy place, to go to a healthy place for the first time. But the point is, he says to him, this wasn't the first time. You've had these, what he calls, foolish ideas in the past. Just when you thought you were at the breaking point and you couldn't stand anymore and you had to get away, you've been in that place before, but you did the sensible thing and you came to me and you let me talk you out of it. In other words, the abuser is the therapist, the self-appointed therapist. When you think, yeah, the abuser is a self-appointed therapist. When you think you can't take any more of my abuse, come to me and I'll explain to you Why you can take more of it, and you should take more of it, and it's good for you, and it's right. You've been yearning for a long time. You've been leaving. You've been in a process of leaving for a long time. Why do you think this time you're going to actually get away? Do what you've always done. Come back to me. Come back to me. He continues. Why did you steal my gods? If you read on in the story, Lovin, who was an idol worshipper, had some idolatrous uh, paraphernalia, and that his daughter Rochel stole it. She really confiscated it to get it away from him to try to separate her father from idol worship. But there's a there's a, a deeper meaning, which is even closer to the literal reading of the words. Why did you steal my God? What's the, what's the God? Of this narcissistic abuser, head of family. Power and control, that's their only God. It's not morality, it's not justice, it's not compassion, it's not love. Their God is power and control. So he says to Yankiv, You've been yearning for a long time. For a long time, you've been trying to get out of here. Now you're gonna make a break from me. You're trying to get away. You're going to get free. You're going to exit this, sy- this system. You're going to take away my power over you. Why did you steal my God? In other words, for this, for Lovin, when Yankov leaves him, it's not just a broken relationship. I mean, anybody is pained by a broken relationship. Even a sick person who caused the dysfunction in a relationship can be pained by a broken relationship. But this is much more than a broken relationship. This is the narcissistic abuser's entire sense of reality. It's literally their God. And if somebody can escape That sick system, especially the scapegoat and the black sheep, whose whose entire purpose is to bear the shame and the guilt for the narcissist so they don't have to. Well, you've not just broken a relationship, you have stolen my God. You've destroyed my entire sense of order in the world. That's why Lovin couldn't let him do it. Now, thank God at this point, Yankov was ready to be healthy like I said, he wasn't raised in this sickness, so I'm sure that helped. And he tells him, V'yan Yankiv, V'yemel Oloven, Yankiv answered, and he said to Loven, Ki yoresi, ki amarti, es me'imi. You know why I did this? Because I was afraid? Because I said, maybe you're going to take your daughters by force from me. In other words, Yankee refused to be civil and polite and play along with the rules where you're not allowed to say what you know the narcissist is trying to do. He was done with it. He said, you know why I did this? Because if I would have told you I was leaving, you would have taken my my family from me. Which, which love and feels is his family. It's, it's his daughters. It's his grandchildren. And there's the a whole story. Uh, there's a distraction about looking for the stolen idolatrous paraphernalia. But I just want to go to the end of this story, where uh, finally there's the, the parting of ways. <speaking in Hebrew> Yankiv got angry. The <speaking in Hebrew> be'loven and he was fighting with Lovin, which is healthy, it's good. The Yan Yankiv ve'yemel Lovin. Yankiv said, to Lovin. Ma Pishi. What is my transgression? Ma Khatosi, What is my sin? Ki That you ran after me. It's not even relevant what Lovin will answer. What charges he'll make. What he'll fill in the blank. Trump up some charges. Yanga is able to stand up and say, What, what did I do? Tell me what I did. Now, Yankov at this point doesn't care what Lavin's answer is. The point is, I know I did nothing wrong. I'm not complicit in my own abuse. So enough of that. We're done with that. He tells him the history. This 20 years I've been with you. Your ewes and your she-goats didn't miscarry. Meaning, Yankov was the job he had. He was a shepherd. So he's saying, I took care of your sheep. I took care of your goats. I took care of your animals. And I didn't eat your rams of your flock. I didn't embezzle from you. I've been totally straight with you, even though you've been very manipulative with me. And he explains to him that whenever there was a loss, I incurred the loss. If an animal got devoured in the field by a predatory animal, I didn't bring it to you and say, oh, There's a loss. Yankov says, I didn't do that with you. I absorbed the loss. And you, you exacted payment for even things that were beyond my control. Whether it was stolen, meaning the the animal, the livestock, whether it was stolen by day or by night, under any conditions. It was always my fault. It was never your fault. It was always my fault. And I went along with it. Thus, I was, in the day ate away at me, and the frost at night, and the sleep fled from my eyes. I didn't sleep. There's 20 years in your house. I served you. I served you 14 years for your two daughters. That itself started from a manipulative, from a, from a swindle. Remember that he thought he was marrying one daughter and he pulled the old switcheroo on him. I've been trapped here because you messed with me from the very beginning. And then after those 14 years, I did another six years just working for you because I felt I had nowhere else to go. I had no other option. So I just kept with you for another six years. And you know what happened then? You changed my wages ten times. You were always changing the rules on me, never allowing me to succeed. If it wouldn't be for the God of my father Abraham, and the dread, meaning God of my father Isaac, being with me during this time, you would have sent me away completely with nothing you would have kicked me to the curb meaning he's saying i'm leaving now with some sheep i did okay with for, for myself in spite of your abuse but that's because god was with me as oni v'es ro omish god has seen the labor of my hands and my affliction and he gave judgment yesterday, meaning when God came to you and said, get away from him. Don't talk to him anymore. Not good, not bad. <sighs> last ditch attempt to control the situation. The Yan lovin and lovin and answered. The Yemel-Yankiv, and he said to Yankiv, watch this. It's the last attempt. Because Yankiv stood up for himself. He said the history. He stopped going along with the lie, with the false narrative that everyone's supposed to, you know, the Holocaust revisionism that everybody's supposed to go along with and pretend there's a different history, an alternate history. So Yankers said, here's the reality. You messed with me. That's how I ended up here for 14 years. Then another six years, he changed my wages 10 times. Everything was my fault, whether stolen by day, stolen by night. Everything was w- w- was on me. and And I went with it. And I'm done. I'm done. We're done now. What did I do? What's my sin here? Why are you chasing me? Leave me alone. I don't want anything from you. I just want to leave. Vyan lovin Vyamir Yankif. So lovin answered and he said to Yankif, "Ha'bonais Bonisai, the daughters are my daughters. The Habonim Bonai. And the sons are my sons. And the sheep are my sheep. And everything you see here is mine. I made you. Now there's some truth. There's a germ of truth. Yankev married Lovin's daughters. So they are his biological daughters. Not that he treated them very well. He exploited and abused them as well. They're his biological children. And therefore, by extension, their children with Yank of the 12 tribes are his biological grandchildren. So there is some truth. I mean, they do have his DNA. So when he says, it's my daughters, it's my sons. Okay, yeah, I guess, according to DNA. Not that he treated them in a fatherly way or a grandfatherly way. But here's the, the assertion that he makes. You have nothing. You are nothing. If you leave, you will fail. You will be Nothing. It's all mine. Everything you have is because of me. Which is the ultimate lie because everything Yankov had was in spite (laughs) of his relationship with Lovin. But Lovin's claiming, no, everything you have is is me. It's all me. I gave it to you. You'd have nothing without me. But he sees he lost. There's no way. Yankov's gone. He's leaving. So what happens? The Ato now. Lovin says, Let's make a covenant. Let's make a peace treaty. When he knows there's nothing else left to do because he sees that the scapegoat is leaving the dysfunctional family system. So he says, but listen, okay. You want to leave, but you know I have to protect myself. The abuser has to protect himself. I have to protect him. We need a peace treaty here. I need you to sign an agreement. Because, you know, I don't know what you could do. You're, you're, you're not a stable person. We all know that you're not a very trustworthy person. I don't know what you're liable to do to me. And you don't have me advising you anymore, so you're going to be very unstable. So he says, so let's make a deal. I and you. And this will be a witness between me and you. What was the witness between them? There was a stone. It says in the next verse. Yankiv took a stone, and he propped it up as a, as a monument. It was a demarcation line, actually. It was, you stay on that side, I stay on this side. Yankov said to his brothers, Gather stones. By the way, they were not his brothers. He had no brothers there. They were his sons. He had a healthy relationship with his sons. He treated them as peers. He called them brothers. Gather stones. And they did. They gathered stones. And they made a pile. And they ate there. That's how in biblical times they would make a peace treaty is you had to have a peace treaty meal, a banquet. Lovin called that spot, the place of the treaty, Yegar Sahadusa. Yankiv Yankiv called it Galayd, which literally means the pile of stones, which acts as testimony. Even when the whole thing is over, it's not over because Lovin still has to have his version of the story. He can't even agree on the name of the place. He has to give it his own name. That's so important, so hard to get away from a loving. And even when you do, they will insist upon their narrative and make sure to send it to all of your contacts on social media that everyone should know that they were the victim, not you. They tried, they tried. We tried working with him, you know, we tried, but he's not a stable person, very dangerous. Nabuch, it's very sad in the end. Yeah, he went out on his own. I don't I don't know what's gonna happen to him. I wish him well. I do. It's very sad. Everybody knows on Pesach we uh we mention Loven. Not by name, but by his his nickname, his biblical nickname. You know that? In the in the Hagoda in the booklet that we follow for the Passover meal, so one of the things that we read is "Arami oived ovi. Yeah, "Arami" means loven. It means a trick, a trickster. "Arami" is a trickster, a swindler. A swindler sought to destroy my father. Meaning. We, the descendants of Yankiv, remember when Loven, the trickster, tried to destroy our forefather Yankiv. We say, Arami Ovid Avi. This is, by the way, a verse also in the Torah. This is Dvorim Chavav He, Deuteronomy 26.5. We say, Arami Ovid Avi, a trickster, meaning Loven, tried to destroy my father. Veyeded Mitzrayma. And he went down to Egypt. He dwelt there with a small population. They were just a small family of 70 at that point. But he became a great nation over there. Many and populous. And the Egyptians treated us wickedly and they afflicted us. Kosha, and they put hard bondage upon us. When we're reading this passage at the Seder, the night of the anniversary of our liberation from, from bondage in Egypt. So it makes sense we mention Egypt because the whole thing is our anniversary of leaving Egypt. But why are we also mentioning Lavan? Now, you could say, well, that's, that's, it's all in one verse. We'll read the whole verse. Or you could say, we're telling the whole history. So we mention Lavan because he's part of the history, right? In the Haggadah, you're telling the whole story. But I'll counter that and say, well, there's a lot of enemies of the Jewish people that existed contemporaneously. We don't mention them. We don't mention Amalek, right? The, the, the arch enemy of the, Jew, of the Jewish people, Amalek. We don't mention them. We don't mention Sichon, the the giants who we had to fight against in order to enter the land in the 40th year in in the wilderness. We don't mention them. Why do we mention Loven and Pare, Pharaoh, king of Egypt? Why those two? It's very simple. Because when we're celebrating our freedom on the night of Passover, freedom doesn't just mean circumstantial freedom. Freedom means existential freedom, not just that we're no longer living in a slave situation, but that we are no longer slaves. No one's a master over us. We are existentially free people with an autonomous sense of self. Well, who were the two biggest threats to that? Not a Moloch who came and fought us while we were trying to leave Egypt not Sichen and Oig who tried to fight us while we were in the wilderness trying to get out of the wilderness. No. The two real threats to our entire existence were our two generous hosts. The people whose homes we lived in. We lived in the home of Lavan when Yankiv was living in, in Choron and we lived in Egypt for 210 years under the auspices Of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So the two real threats that have to be overcome in order to become a truly free person are these two hosts, not a regular villain, not an abuser who comes out of a dark alley. That's one trauma. No, the abuser who puts a roof over your head. So here's, here's what I want to tell you. If you identify to any of this, if you're part of any of this, let me explain something to you. This is not the reason why it happened to you, because I don't know the reason why it happened to you. I'm not a prophet. I don't know why things happen, especially why pain is given to innocent children and they grow up with, with abuse. I don't know why. So I'm not explaining to you the reason why it happened, but I'm I'm stating a fact. If it did happen to you, you have an opportunity to do something bold and courageous. And that is to be the first normal, healthy person in your bloodline. And if you were the one who was scapegoated and made into the black sheep, well, maybe the curse is a blessing because if anyone has a chance to get out of the sick system, it's you because you're not benefiting from the system. The people who are benefiting from it, they'll perpetuate it till they die. So at least you have a chance to get out of it. And when you do get out of it, I want to let you know that a massive spiritual awakening is awaiting you, because that's the only way to survive it. Like Yankiv told Lovin, if it wouldn't be for the God of my fathers, who was with me this whole time, you would have destroyed me. It's only because I had God. And we know, King David says in the Psalms that Hashem is the father of orphans. Avi Yisayimim. Avi Yisayimim. And not all Yisayimim have parents who passed away. There are people who are Lebedee Yisayimim, people who are orphans with parents who are alive. And you should know that when you don't have a loving parent And it's time now to break free and start fresh and to parent yourself. You should know that your support is coming from none other than Hashem, who is the father of orphans. And for some people, this is a very real thing. That Hashem is not just their God, but literally is the father and mother that they never had because their father and mother were, for whatever reason, completely Incapable of offering parental love, but Hashem comes forth and gives that love, especially to the people who are deprived of it for whatever reason that I don't understand. I don't purport to explain it. I'm just telling, I'm not giving you it as an explanation. I'm not saying this justifies it. I'm saying it as a fact that the people who break free become incredibly spiritual and have an incredibly close uh, relationship with God. And God becomes as close to them as a real father or a mother.